Welcome to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. In this special episode of our podcast, I sit down with Paul Thim, one of the long-term counselors at our Men's Recovery Center. Paul is retiring after working at Mar for 11 years. I started having this thought a few weeks ago. You know, I think Mar has been my happiest work experience. And I thought, I better check that out with my wife. So I said, do you think Mar has been my happiest work experience? And immediately she said, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> he reflects on his experiences as a counselor at Mar and also talks about the relationship between spirituality and recovery. So tell, give us a little bit about your backgrounds. Well, uh, I'm, uh, I was in parish ministry. I'm an Episcopal priest. I was in parish ministry full time. Um, for 17 years. And uh, there were a lot of things about that that I enjoyed and, and that were very satisfying to me, but I guess I'd have to say not enough of those things. I, I, one day I, when I counted up the years, I, it, I began thinking about it and decided that I was not getting the kind of satisfaction I wanted out of it to spend the rest of my life doing that. So I, I got to tra- into training uh um, to do psychotherapy, first as in what's called pastoral counseling, and then got licensed as a marriage and family therapist. And then by chance, um, I had a private practice and, and was also, I stayed connected to the church, the local Episcopal church, and, and did various things for the bishop, some interim ministry, and some consulting with parishes, and I've, I've stayed connected. Um, but by chance, there was a small treatment program that needed someone who had a professional license. Um, and so I began working there just five hours a week. And that was um, in 1998, uh, so 21 years ago. And I gradually went from part five to ten to twenty to full time and and I just found uh, that I I really enjoyed the work I'm sure partly it had to do with coming to it kind of later in life and later in my career uh, maybe not being as starry-eyed um, as I would have been at a younger age um, but also um, for me, um, I don't start off telling guys here that I'm a minister. I'm not trying to talk them into being religious or believing in God. Uh, but for me, this became a, a meaningful ministry. I'd, I have said a couple of times that I feel as though in some ways that my experience here kind of redeemed my ministry. It, it became a meaningful ministry to me in a way that my previous work had had not been. Um, what so, do you? Well, yeah. What do you mean by that? That it redeemed it. Well, um, one one way I think about. Uh, this kind of substance abuse treatment, 12-step uh, recovery, is, for me, it is one of the 
best examples I know of Christianity being put into action, applied to life. Now, you know, you don't need to be talking about Christianity. That doesn't mean uh, convincing people to become Christians. <laughs> but in terms of what I think it means to be and to live out the Christian faith. Um, and I, I think 12-step recovery um, is a very powerful example of that, one of the most powerful examples I can, I can think of. And um, when I look at the, the way Jesus related to people, I see two sides to it. One is uh, acceptance of people, a, a radical openness to people, uh, uh, loving people, loving and accepting people where they are. But at the same time, there's also an accountability element that runs through his actions and teachings. And, and that's what I see going on in the kind of substance abuse treatment we do here. Acceptance and accountability. We accept the men who come in here. We ask them to be open and honest about who they are, about what they've done, and to talk about that with others. And we try to get them to see that's what you've done. That doesn't mean it's who you are. There's a difference there. And often that's, that's a new idea to, to men. Um, but there's also the accountability side. What are you going to do now going forward? You, you have done these things. You ended up doing things you never intended to do. You became somebody you never intended to be. Um, and that's because you are, pow you are powerless over drugs and alcohol. Your life became unmanageable. But there is help. <laughs> so um, there's no point in blaming you for the things you did, but you are accountable in terms of getting help. You can't stop yourself from, from doing the things you do when you drink, but what you can do is make the choice to get help and to do the things you need to do uh, to get uh, the kind of help you need to go into treatment, to get a sponsor, to work the steps, to have close, intimate relationships with other people in recovery, to stay connected, to examine your life honestly, to look at the things you've done that you should not have done, and make amends for them if you can, and on a daily basis to keep doing that. And what was it about Mar that allowed you into that uh, practice of you use the term redeemed? I mean, what what was what is what was it about Mar that allowed you to kind of participate in that spirituality in a way that you weren't able to maybe as deeply or the way that in, in your parish ministry? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's a good question because I think there are plenty of parish ministers who do are able to do that in parish ministry. Um, well, I, there's something about the setting of people coming into treatment where there's no denying there's a problem there. You know, the man's lost his job, he's gotten arrested for DUI, um, his wife's divorcing him, his parents have said, you can't live here anymore, we're not going to support you anymore. Um, <clears throat> and the drug use, the alcohol use is out of control. It's There's no sort of pretense. He may want to keep up a pretense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But enough of us can see it that we can we realize, okay, you know, our job is to deal with his pretending then. So I, I just the, I like the, the reality of that. Um, actually, I, uh, when I was at the School of Theology at Emory, I worked in a psychiatric hospital, and it was a great experience. Um, and a number of us were in graduate school at the time, different graduate schools. Um, <clears throat> some of them can become ministers, some psychologists, some went on to be psychiatrists, and a lot of us there found it to be a really great educational experience. And it was it was similar in that it's a, that was a hospital. People who came in clearly had troubles and needed people to, to work with them and were open to that to varying degrees. So in some ways, uh, this has kind of been a full circle experience for me, going back to that time that that I also really, really enjoyed and got a lot out of. How so? Well, in the sense that that was a treatment program, the mm -hmm. psychiatric hospital where I worked, and and this is a treatment mm -hmm. program, and there are people who are coming in who who need help, and a lot of times they're getting in the way of. The help they need. So the challenge is to work with them uh, on that. Mm -hmm. In the last few weeks and months, I've had opportunities to reflect on my work here and think about what it's been like. And one of the things that's occurred to me is, um, in a lot of ways, Mar has been a gift for me. Um, I, I've am ending my work career uh, with a very satisfying work experience. And I consider myself very fortunate in that way because I'm sure there are a lot of people who approach retirement and just can't wait to stop working and they're sick and tired of it. And I do not feel that way at all. I'm very much looking forward to what I'm going to be doing. Um, but also, there's a lot I will miss here. I will miss the people. I will miss the clients. I will miss the kind of work that we do. So I consider myself very fortunate. I've also been thinking about <clears throat> what I expected when I came here. Doug Brush uh, called me up. And actually, <laughs> I... Uh, I had a new cell phone at the time, and I had known Doug and gotten to know him, and we had stayed in touch over the course of a couple of years. And um, he uh, called me up one day from an airport and said, Paul, there's a position here. I want to know. I left a message for you a week ago. Uh, I want to know if you're interested in it. Well, 
I had had a, uh, I had a new cell phone at the time, and I did not recognize the icon for message left, so I didn't know there was a message there. So I went back and listened to the message. So a week before, Doug had said, Paul, there's a position we have. I want to know if you might know someone who's interested. So he was being a little more cold. <laughs> <laughs> and then a week later, he, he kind of laid the cards on the table. Um, so we talked and then offered me the position. And, and then, you know, I knew that I had heard good things about Mar. Um, and when I told people I was coming to work here, a lot of people said, oh, that's a good program. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not really sure what my expectations were. I think my expectations had to do with what I might accomplish here and what I might get done and maybe new things that would happen because I'm here. And looking back on it, I, I think the gift, well, there are different parts of the gift. One of the things that I've gotten from my time at Mar is a deep appreciation of what 12-step recovery is and can be. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the staff members who are in recovery themselves. And I came to realize what that looks like in their lives and also what that looks like in their ways of relating to men who come into treatment. And I am just very impressed with their empathy, their insight, their savvy, their ability to see things from a different perspective and, and see things that I do not see, and I've really learned a lot from them. And then the other thing is I've come to have a deep appreciation of what a therapeutic community is and can be, which um, is very much what MAR is about. Um, I've often said, and the other primary counselors will say the same thing, in a lot of ways, the, the men come to the men's center during the day from 8.30 in the morning to 2.30 in the afternoon, and then they go back to their apartments, and they have more meetings there, but also they spend a lot of time just without the staff present. And I have often said that the therapy we do here, the treatment we do here, either takes or doesn't take after they leave the day treatment building and go back to the apartments. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that's where they put it into action. And, you know, we can talk with them about um, taking, being, being honest and open and willing and looking at your lives in a way that you haven't been willing to look at them and engaging in relationships in ways in which you haven't been able to engage and living your life according to spiritual principles and things like that. But they can just spout those words back to us if they want to when they're with us. But then when staff is not present, what do they do? Um, I've talked to alumni who will say the biggest thing I got out of Mar was at night in the apartments we would sit around talking. And we were talking recovery. And if that takes place, then it's really taking. Mm -hmm.
so I've gotten a deep appreciation of what 12-step recovery is about and what therapeutic community is about. And it's so interesting because, I mean, I think I'm a good staff member. I think there are other staff members who are good, great staff members. I think we work hard. I think the work we do is really important. But in a lot of ways, I think we just kind of set set the table for it. Mm. <laughs> and then... The meal takes place in the in the apartment. Um, yeah. Were there other things that you wanted to say about what you've gained or, or learned about in your eleven years here? Yes, yes. I've been thinking about what the eleven years have been like, and something been like, and something occurred to me recently. I think, in a lot of ways. I have gotten out of working here what we hope guys will get out of being in treatment here. Um, I think I am more appreciative of human intimate relationships. Um, I like to think I've become more open, more loving, um, more tuned in to other people, as well as more tuned in to myself. I like to think I am more able to just be in the present and to take the attitude more that more on the side of life is to be lived rather than to be controlled. Because the more you move over to the control side, the less you're living life. Um, and those are all things that, you know, we try to get the guys who are in treatment with us to do and that we, in effect, preach to them. So uh, it's kind of interesting. That, and I, I, think, I think if I asked my wife, she would agree that I have changed in those ways. I do know, I said to her recently, um, I started having this thought a few weeks ago, you know, I think Mar has been my happiest work experience. And I thought, I better check that out with my wife. So I said, do you think Mar has been my happiest work experience? And immediately she said, are you kidding me? Of course. <laughs> so people come in with all sorts of different experiences with right. religion. Some are totally turned off by the time they get here right. to religion. And, and many then, times that's quite understandable. Yeah, yeah, right. And then some maybe think that they they know all the answers. Yeah, and, and they can be the, often the most difficult to work with. <laughs> Looking at it from that context, how, how, do you, how do you all frame this topic of spirituality as opposed to religion? From, yeah. Like what, what's, what's the difference between what we're doing here and what they might have experienced earlier? <clears throat> um, I, well, religion I think of as more institutional and associated with a particular religion, a particular denomination, a particular faith. Um, spirituality I think of as broader than that. And... Um, the way 
I think that spirituality comes in with treatment and recovery is um, the, the men who come in the treatment here, um, n- none of them intended to be here. No one wakes up in the morning and says, I want to get a DUI today. No one, none of the guys who come through treatment ever said, you know, I'd, I think I'd like to lose my job and drink or drug enough for that to happen and then end up in treatment. So if they could have present, prevented this from happening, they would have. So it's the solution, the help they need is beyond them. Uh, to me, that's the beginning of spirituality. It's something beyond them. <laughs> it, it's not within their power. And I, I mean, that's the basis, from my understanding, of the term higher power. If you had the power within you to control it, you would. You don't? Okay, you need a higher power, a broader power, stronger power, something like that, but something other than your own power. And, you know, it can be, it can start off simply being the structure of the program that says we want you here at this time and there at that time, and we want you always to be with uh, one or two other guys who are in treatment with you and never wander off, and we're going to give you drug tests on a random basis. And we want you to start going to these groups from 8.30 in the morning till 2.30 in the afternoon. And, you know, there's a long list of things that we tell people we have they have to do and i'm sure a lot of the rules are maddening to the guys but you know that's the first part of the treatment which in my way of envisioning this is that initially it comes from the outside in (laughs) it's being imposed or fed to them but the goal then is to um tap something on the inside of them so that what's being given to them on the outside will begin to speak to something on the inside um, so that they will begin to feel this is actually what I really want to be doing anyway. Um, a lot of guys, in you know, in their addiction they've they've lost touch with their feelings lost touch with their emotions they've lost touch with their conscience they have one but it's gotten numbed along with the conscience um and i think the the goal of treatment then is to help guys get back in touch with that um and there's a uh, an appendix at the back of the big book called Spiritual Experience that it, it talks about people in recovery discovering an unsuspected inner resource. Um, and to put that into more traditional religious language, um, the theologian Augustine, he had this really interesting statement he made. This was... Um, almost 2,000 years ago. Um, He said, 
God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. And <clears throat> the way I understand that is um, when we're getting closer to who we truly are, we're getting closer to God. And getting closer to God means getting closer to who I truly, truly am. Um, people in active addiction do things they never intended to do, but they do them. Um, in recovery, they get back in touch with who they truly are. And if they could have done that on their own, they would have. They weren't able to, so they need a power beyond themselves. And I, I don't feel a great need to convince them to call that God um, or even to use the, the religious language. You know, for some of the men, they experience it uh, through their community. And they will talk about their community as their higher power. They will talk about their sponsor. They will talk about AA. Some I've heard uh, people talk about uh, going into AA meetings sometimes and, and will say that their first AA meeting, they all of a sudden realized they were at home mm. because they were among their own kind. And that gets them in touch with some power that they were not in touch with before. Have you ever seen... Um, in your 11 years here and then even before that when you were working in this field um, elsewhere, the, have you seen the kind of the concept of religion that they come in here with ever um, come into conflict with this spirituality that they're trying to, that you're trying to help them get in touch with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes guys come in and, and uh, if if they're from... Um, a more traditional religious background, they will scoff at the idea of higher power and they will say, I don't know why AA has to water it down. It's God to me. Um, and, but, you know, the question then for that man is still, all right, we're here um, to deal with your recovery from alcoholism. So how does your religion, is that helpful to you? You're already saying you believe in God, so obviously that's not enough. <laughs> right. So what else do you need? Because you need something more. Yeah, and, and I've heard just in talking with a lot of the staff, um, thinking of Dave, Devitt, and Doug too, that, and Matt, I think, Erwin also all kind of mentioned the um, the importance of the questions. Yeah, questions are really important. Yeah, um, more important maybe than answers even. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, a lot of people maybe from those more traditional backgrounds are taught don't question. Right. Here's the. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if that has something to do with the maybe that that conflict or or where they people can kind of hit a wall yeah yeah and and a lot of people in 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 different denominations or different religions a lot of times are brought up with a more strict uh, rigid understanding of what religion is you believe this you don't believe that uh, and if you don't believe that then you're not 
a true believer, you're not saved, uh, you're not going to go to heaven or, or whatever like that, whatever language they might use. Um, and absolutely, I mean, you, they have to first be willing to open themselves up to some, some questions. The spiritual experience, the, the way the big book defines spiritual experience is uh, it's a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism. So for anyone, religious or non-religious, what do you need to work on in you to bring about your recovery from alcoholism? That's, that's the central question. Um, and I love that because that sort of can clear away a lot of this debate. You know, if, if, if more traditionally religious people um, don't like the idea of a higher power and say it's, you know, not religious enough, or if people who do not consider themselves religious or have had negative experiences don't like, the, for them, higher power sounds too religious, forget all that. The question is, all right, what do you need to work on to bring about your recovery from alcoholism? What do you need to change in your personality? And how are we going to go about that? You obviously don't know how to do it, because if you could have, you would have. So what do you, what do you need? And... To me, that fits with the idea of a higher power. If it doesn't for you, fine. We don't need to argue terminology. <laughs> we need to, but we do need to work on you finding the help you need. And that, that gets back to what I was saying before about Christianity, my faith, being put into action. Mm -hmm. How do we help you find what you need? Mm -hmm. And... That involves our acceptance and love of you, and it involves us holding you accountable and challenging you at the same time. Have you ever seen, you might have already answered this, but have you ever seen a person do well in recovery without being open to any sort of spiritual spirituality? Like, is that even possible? Hmm. Um, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's certainly people who recover or, you know, stop drinking who, who would not eat, think that that has anything to do with spirituality. Now, I guess you could say they're not really alcoholics or, or addicts. Um, You know, the, the people, I mean, the people who come to treatment with us, people who come to treatment <laughs> have a serious problem. They, I mean, you know, things are not going well for them. And often at MAR, we get people, because we're a 90-day program, who've tried shorter programs and have not been able to maintain sobriety, and often more than one. So... You know, there's no question there's a, a, a very serious problem there. And 
they need help. Um, I, I think, I guess the, maybe a good way to answer your question is people come into treatment with um, very different, a lot of different ideas of what spirituality is, and I think they leave treatment with a lot of very different ideas of what spirituality is. Um, Meaning it changes from when they start to when they finish. Well, that, yeah. but also um, uh, everyone um, among the people who complete treatment, uh, if you ask them what spirituality is, is to them, you probably hear a lot of different explanations of, of what it is. Um, <clears throat> you know of a lot of different uh, explanations of what a higher power is or, or what God is. Um, you know, I heard uh, someone say a while back, the way I think God works is, you know, it's not that you pray and occasionally God does something. Those things are always there. It's just that at times we become more open to them. Hmm. Um, I heard one one of the men who completed our program recently trying to talk about his spirituality to, to someone who was new. He said, to me, God is everything. Well, um, you know, in a, in a scholarly uh, text... That, that that may or may not hold up but if you in terms of his life and what it means to him and how it fits with his recovery that that's it's meaningful how is your view of your own spirituality and and God how has that changed or evolved or enri- been enriched over in those 11 years yeah yeah um well, I would say it goes back to what I was saying earlier about I feel as though what I've gotten out of my experience working at Mar in many ways is like what we want the men to get out of treatment. Um, and that is... Uh, I mean those those things that I that I said. Um, I feel as though, I, at least I like to think, I have become less judgmental. Um, I like to think I've become more patient. Um, I like to think I've become more loving, more open to life and more accepting of life um, and, and and to me that's a spiritual those are that that's a that's what a spiritual journey looks like um, that's the the, the spiritual direction of a life. If a life's moving in that direction, it's moving in the direction of, of spirituality. Um, and, you know, often it's very small steps and it shows itself in very small ways. <clears throat> 
Sometimes I've heard people, other staff members around Mars say, there are no little things, because the littlest thing can be uh, extremely valuable and important. The smallest, briefest interaction can be so valuable. Um, and and that that gets to the the gratification that I get out of the work. That there's often a very deep sense of gratitude that I find from the work. Um, one and I've had numerous experiences that I could think of, but one of them I'm thinking of at the moment. One of the, our alumni came by a couple of years later. He had been in my primary group. Um, I'll use his first name, Kevin. And uh, he stopped by, I, I think, to get a uh, maybe a letter saying just the dates that he had been in treatment uh, that he needed for something. And uh, he and his wife had divorced, but they had gotten back on cordial terms. And uh, I think in the past month, and he, he was a very quiet, soft-spoken man, and uh, he said, a month ago I started getting visitation every other weekend with my kids. And uh, I just felt overjoyed for right. him. And something that has often struck me is that the destructiveness of alcoholism and addiction is so uh, noisy and so dramatic. Uh, somebody gets a DUI, uh, somebody gets in a car accident and someone, and someone gets killed, someone gets fired from their job and it causes economic damage. Uh, they get divorced. Um, all those things are so noisy and so dramatic and the power of recovery is so quiet and undramatic. Um, nobody gets their name on the and picture on the front page of the paper for getting up and going to work mm -hmm. or for getting uh, being allowed to, have, to see their children every other other week. But you know, the, when it takes place, the power of recovery is more powerful than the power of alcoholism and, and addiction. Um, and it's just, and so I, I get to be a part of that. I, I get to help bring that about. Um, and I get to witness it, and then I get to hear about it. And... It's just deeply gratifying, and part of me wants to jump up and down and shout and clap and cheer. Um, and, you know, sometimes you do that. <laughs> uh, but most of the time, it's, it's just so, it's, uh, it's a much quieter, there are much quieter victories and triumphs that, that take place. So, um, There's also um, <clears throat> uh, 
being with people who are in, in recovery, both clients, patients who come through here, but also especially uh, staff members, there's a lot of humor. I have never laughed so much on the job as I have working with fellow staff members who are in recovery. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times when people outside of here not, who are not in the field hear what I do or ask me what I do, they'll say things like, oh, that's such hard work and that's great you're doing that. And, you know, I'll, I used to get into conversations with them and say, well, yes, it is, but, you know, it's also, it can be frustrating and tragic at times, but also challenging and gratifying and also a lot of fun. And then fun, what's, what's <laughs> and so uh, that, that's kind of hard to explain. They, they wonder why, what I mean when I say I work in a drug and alcohol treatment program and I laugh a lot at work. So that they yeah. begin to think something's wrong <laughs> <Right>. with me. <laughs> um, but I've never laughed so much on the job as I have working with fellow staff members who are in recovery. I have also never heard so many men say to other men, I love you, as I have being around men who are in 12-step recovery. Um, and, you know, they mean it because they've learned um, the need for it. Because often they've been in very isolated, loveless places. What do you think the humor, what, what, what do you think the connection is there with the humor? Well, I think, uh, I mean, humor can be very healthy and helpful. And I mean, it can also be unhealthy and mm -hmm. harmful and cutting, but it also can be healthy. Uh, it's a, it's a great coping mechanism. Um, also, um, one of the, uh, when I sometimes meet someone and I don't know if they're in recovery, um, and then we get to talking and something will make me think, ah, I think this person's in recovery. And it has to do with their sort of ability to kind of question themselves and maybe even make a joke about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, they might make a joke like, uh, well, uh, I, I thought I was right, but I'm, I've learned I'm not as right as I think I am. <laughs> or just some sort of small mm -hmm. little joke like that. And they've, they've learned to not to take themselves so seriously. Mm -hmm. I was just going to ask, a, that was such a good anecdote you said about the alumni who came back to get his paper signed and you had that. Oh, yeah. Are there any other moments like oh, that? Oh, oh. Yeah. That come to mind, highlights, high watermarks for you? Oh, yeah. They'll bring tears to my eyes. Um, a man whose son was graduating from graduate school, I think, and his job was to make all the arrangements for the uh, family dinner at a restaurant and... Uh, relatives coming into out of town and he went on a 
cocaine binge and completely bailed on them. And uh, his wife divorced him, and obviously, you know, it caused tension, the significant tension with the son. And um, he was in my primary group, and you know, came through Mar and did well, and reestablished relations with his son, and. <clears throat> a couple of years later, told me that he was having lunch with his son once a week. And he said, I don't know why I find this so moving. He said, uh, my son asks me for advice now. Mm. <laughs> Isn't that a great one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there are lots of stories like that. Um, my son asks me for advice. It relates to what yeah. you, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, no. I was just going to say it relates to what you were saying before. There are no little little moments. It's like exactly. That was really profound for him and meaningful. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, you know, I've gotten to see people who a year or two after coming into treatment, they're a speaker at a meeting and telling their story, people who... Uh, end up being incarcerated and come through that experience and they remain in recovery and do well in recovery. And, and it's, you know, this is not, um, what's, the, what's the word? You know, this is not an exact science. It's not like uh, we know exactly what to do and what will work every time. Um, the first client who was ever assigned to me, uh, I'm not sure he completed treatment. If he did, it was not much of a treatment. <laughs> uh, I think he may have left or, or been discharged for some rule infraction. And then <clears throat> about two years later, I got a phone call from him. He was looking for a letter from me he had not successfully completed treatment. He was looking for a letter from me, basically, for court. And basically, he was hoping I would say, fudge the, the issue of whether he successfully completed treatment or not. I wasn't willing to do that. And now, maybe five or six years after that, uh, he's working at a program and doing well and uh, recently referred someone to us. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, a lot of things in life can't be controlled. You, mm -hmm. you know, you do what you can and take responsibility for what you can and, and try to help as much as you can. That um, just made me think of there's a couple staff members we have here, very well-respected ones who... <laughs> <laughs> did not complete treatment here and were I, asked to leave. And you and I can think of two in particular <laughs> yeah, right, right now. It's very interesting, yeah. Uh -huh. And they are absolutely two of our strongest and most effective staff members and were put out of treatment for different reasons, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even, you know, being discharged is not the end mm -hmm. of the process, can be can become a part of the ongoing recovery. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If there's one thing you could pass on to people who are listening, 
what would it be? Oh, boy. You know, people are in so many different situations. I mean, you know, someone who needs recovery may be listening. <laughs> A relative of someone who needs recovery may be listening. Um, I guess the simple message, uh, you know, there is hope and there is help available. And, uh, recovery can and does take place and will continue to take place. That's perfect. Thanks, Paul. Okay. Thank you for, for coming by to do this. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co-produced by Angela Edmonds and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.